You know, there's a a walk with God as you grow stronger in Him. That you end up relying more and more on Him. How many notice that as you go through struggles and difficulties and battles and resistance? That you end up losing faith in what used to make you strong. And you end up putting your faith in Him as your strength. And that's kind of what you learn as you go further in God, with God, is that He really is all you have. You know, if you're going to walk on water, like Gary talked on a little bit this morning, it's not going to be in your own ability. (laughs) It's only going to be in the ability of God and the strength of God. And that's kind of been the theme of what God has had me personally focusing on in my studying and my praying the last number of years has been relying on the strength of God, relying on the life of God, and not in our own ability. Let's go to the book of John. We'll start in chapter 9. And and there's a basic Christianity that most of us started in. We'll call it American Christianity, but basic Christianity. Uh, we'll call it, we can call it religion. Uh, there's many words for it. But basically, it's the idea that you ask Jesus in your heart, so you go to heaven. And that's where most of us started. We had no idea what happened when we were born again. That day you knelt down and asked Jesus in your heart, you knew that you were no longer going to go to hell, you were going to go to heaven but you really didn't know exactly what happened to you. You know, it took me many, many years before I understood what it meant to be born again. Thank God for Pastor Dave and the Born Again Trail. That series of messages really are an amazing miracle, just that they're able to be in in existence. And so when I say the word born again to you, uh, you have about a thousand messages that have helped you understand what it means to be born again already in you. But for the average Joe who, go, who goes to church around the, the world, when you say the word born again, you, can, you know they think, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I asked Jesus in my heart. I mean, for years, I thought I had a little Jesus running around in my heart. You know, a little, he had a little kitchen in there and a bedroom, and, and Jesus lived in there. And I remember... Uh, learning about the born-again nature from Pastor Dave. And uh, even then, I taught it for years, and one day I was having coffee with him, and uh, we were talking, and all of a sudden I seen for myself what it meant to be born again. I saw the, the inner man, I saw the new nature, and I remember talking, having coffee, and I looked at Pastor Dave and I said, wait, 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 wait. I'm born again. I have a new nature. And he looked at me like, where have you been all these years? You know. But all of a sudden, it was mine. I understood it. And so these truths that we preach from are so important. Because if you don't get your foundation straight, you'll preach from a different foundation. 
And you can preach from a foundation of understanding of religion. Uh, we'll call it the tree of religion. And you can use the same wording, the same scripture, but mean something different. Or you can preach from the the tree of the spirit, the tree of love, the tree of of uh, revival, which means you use the same words, but it means differently. The word revival isn't a good word to use. You know, when some people say revival, um, they have a yearly revival at their church every every summer. They plan a yearly revival. It's a one week revival. It comes and it goes and. And what they mean is we're having a special meeting where you can invite your friends to come find Jesus. Other people, when you say the word revival, they think a sovereign move of God. That God all of a sudden, boom, hits, hits a place with revival. Because he liked that place better than the other place. Pastor Dave said if God did that, he'd have to apologize to all the other generations before the why did you send revival to them and not to us? <laughs> you know, that's not fair. So even the word revival, to us the word revival means we walk, we go to a place to where we walk like Jesus walked. And uh, the miracles come like Jesus would have. That we are the representative of Christ here on this earth. So there's a lot of words and a lot of terms, terminology, that we have to preach but also define otherwise people will dismiss it and you can see when you preach if you say a word people oh i know that message if i say let's go to john three sixteen, most people go oh okay and but they won't really go there they know the verse they already in their heart think they know what it means and so they don't learn they, they don't feel they need to learn more and it's important that we get our foundation straight for where we're preaching from, where this revival is coming from. So a lot of that means that we have to dismantle some of the ideas we had to hold on to the, the ideas that come from the Spirit. And if you're like me, you've had the Holy Spirit do that with you many, many times where you thought you understood something, and then he taught you a little more, and you thought, I thought I knew that, but I had no idea. I had no idea. We're going to start in John chapter 9. Let's go to verse 1, chapter 9. Because this whole story is important. Now when Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So that tells you a little bit about the religious culture, that in the old covenant, the idea was, under the old law, um, that you chose life or death. You chose blessing or cursing. So if you had anything bad happened in your family, then it's because somebody sinned. But if you had perfection and wealth and health and prosperity, it was because you chose life and God's hand of blessing was on you. And Jesus answered them, saying, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
but the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming where no one can work. So Jesus is saying, this is not anyone's fault that he was born blind, but that God's power could be revealed. We're here to see him healed. That the blindness wasn't because someone sinned. It wasn't because God caused it. That we're in a world of... uh, a world, a fallen world, you're going to find all kinds of brokenness. And when he had said these things, he set up on the, he, he sped on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Therefore the neighbors... And those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? Now I'm going to pause here just for a second. Because really, this is the heart of why we're seeking the power of God in revival. We're not. We're seeking a, a place in God. It's it's embarrassing that the church is still surviving all these years later without the power of God flowing like it's supposed to. Because here you see, just by this man seeing the neighborhood that he was raised up in where they knew him as the blind child, they were shocked at this miracle. Therefore they said to him, how are your eyes opened? How is this possible? The world is starving for Jesus. They're starving for it. Not Jesus the social worker. Jesus the miracle worker. And because the church has, uh, as a whole, given up on believing for Jesus the miracle worker, they have set up camp on preaching how Jesus the social worker can help help people. And, and you'll even hear the world demand from the church. Isn't the church supposed to take up for the, the broken and the hurt and the lost isn't the church supposed to stand up for the immigrants and the and and in the politics? The world looks at the church and say, "Why are you church not standing up for this social justice and this issue?" Well, it's because the church has made that their cause for generations, rather than introducing the world to Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus needs the world to see him for who he is. We're all a little, been a little surprised by the war and the battle, not just with the devil, but even with our own self, <laughs> our own outward man, when it comes to believing God for revival. And I've seen many people on this path seeking God, hungry for God, passionate for God, for the revival. 
And I've seen many people stop short because they got tired, impatient. They didn't have the endurance. So they began to set up camp where they were. You know, when, when Israel, uh, I think Ruthie from Ireland, how many know Ruthie? Well, we all love Ruthie. And she preached one day about the, the tribes that went into the promised land. And the, I think, there were, I think uh, there were two tribes that stayed on the other side of the Jordan River. I may not be accurate in that. At least one tribe, but two tribes, I believe, set up a camp. So when they got to the Jordan River, the Lord instructed them to go into the promised land. He said, I want you to go and possess the land. In this land, there are giants. And your job, little Jewish people, is to go into the promised land and to kill the giants. To go and slaughter them and kill them and take that land for God. Now, if you've ever been in a fight or been in a battle, you've learned that it's messy, it's ugly, it's hard, it takes work. Well, ten of the tribes went into the promised land and went into battle to kill off all the giants in the promised land. But two of the tribes, if I'm saying this correctly, I'm sorry, I hadn't studied this so much, but... Two of the tribes stayed on the other side of the Jordan and decided to set up camp on that side of the Jordan River. So you have the majority of the people going into war, into fighting to possess the land, and the other ones, the other group stayed on the peaceful side of the Jordan River. Well, you maybe experienced this. When you've come back home after a night of battling with the, your, your giants, fear, envy, strife, the natural man. How many have discovered you have giants in your life that you, you've got to kill? Well, you come home and, and, and you look a little bit bloodied. You're a little bit wore out. You're a little bit discouraged. Not discouraged, but you've been fighting. And someone comes up to you from the other side of the Jordan. And they want to give you advice. Oh, why are you? you look like you've had a hard day, my brother. I notice you're having a difficulty in your finances. I notice you're having a difficulty in your health. I notice you're having a difficulty in this area and that area. Well, you know what? We have been happy and successful and blessed over on the other side of the Jordan. Let me tell you how we walk in our prosperity. See, they gained their prosperity without war. They stopped before the battle and set up camp on the other side of the Jordan. And they look at you in your, your lack, in your battle, in your weaknesses, in your struggles. And they want to come and give advice to you on how you can be blessed. But their act of blessing is one without war, one without overcoming, one without battle. The flesh, the outward man, the wisdom of this world has crept into the church and has tried to teach us and instruct us how to walk in blessings. 
but is never able to get you to the fullness of God. It's never, it is not able to get the church to the place to where the miracles flow, the power flows, people are set free and delivered. It is important that we preach and teach and instruct and live from the right foundation of the spirit and not of the natural man of the flesh. The flesh can act spiritual. The flesh can act uh, uh, holy, but it's not. The flesh is to the outward man is to be mortified. Now, as we go into mortification and that, it's not just I'm getting rid of the bad things, the the anger, the jealousies, the strife. Mortification is killing the source of all things of the outward man. Even the love and the good the good emotions must not be your source of emotions, or you will continue to live your life on the peaceful side of the Jordan and never experience the promised land, the fruit of the promised land. Now there are parts of your life that you don't have to mortify. Parts of your natural man. Parts like, say, you want to get married. You want to uh, be intimate. You want to have a partner. Well, God didn't ask you to mortify that. He just asks you to regulate that. So you don't mortify if you don't want to. Paul says you should. Paul said if you're not married, don't get married. But if you need to get married because you're burning up with desire, get married. See, God doesn't tell you to, you don't have to mortify your desire um, for intimacy. You don't have to mortify your desire to have children. You have to regulate it, meaning... It's between one man and a woman, and it's for life. You get married, and then you could, you, that's how you regulate that. Oh, I want to have friends. I want to be, that's okay. You can have those. You can have friends, the desire to have fellowship, but it should be with light and not with darkness. You know, hunger is a natural desire. How many, you know, if I preach past 12 o'clock, you know, I start getting the evil eye because. Something speaking to you is called hunger. Your stomach starts to growl and speak to you. It starts to demand food. So the scripture doesn't tell you to mortify hunger. Because if you mortified hunger, you would be dead. It tells you to regulate. It tells you to fast, to control it. So the mortification that we go through in our life is not about just killing off things. It's about killing off the things of the natural man. And I've seen too many people preach from their natural intellect, their natural man, and they preach the word of God, but it's stupid when it comes to God. God calls it foolishness. In Canadianism, we call it stupid. But it sounds good. It sounds righteous. It sounds like the word of God. But it's foolishness and powerlessness. It has no power for you to walk into the the things that God has for you. The only source that you have 
to walk into the things of God that he has for you is from the spirit, the spiritual man. You might hear things like, you know, God didn't call us to be brain dead. You know, and, and there's people who are intellectual. They're smart intellectually. And, and they think that faith means that you are without intellect. That you just, you just believe, blindly believe and walk in things. Well, see, there's an intellect, a spiritual intellect. There's a spiritual knowledge that is holy, that came from the mind of God. But there's also knowledge that's in your natural man that is powerless, powerless to get you and I to walk in the things that God has for us. It's important that we understand the difference. Because if you rely on your natural intellect, it will pretend to know God, but you'll end up telling the word about Jesus, the social worker. Let me introduce you to Jesus, the social worker. He's going to help you have a better marriage. He's going to help you to have better finances. He's going to help you to be successful in this world. He's going to help you in this life to, to get better and get stronger. Because they've given up on believing for Jesus, the miracle worker. Well, here the blind man showed up and the whole neighborhood couldn't believe it. It was a miracle. A miracle that they'd never seen. A blind man who they've known from birth now can see. Now all of us can preach about Jesus, the miracle worker. But when it comes to introducing him to the blind and the deaf and the broken, you have discovered that there's a cost, a price, a resistance that you face when you try to introduce Jesus the miracle worker. What I love about this place, the Family Prayer Center, and other places, but this is a place where God's put me and you. What I love about this is we've not excused ourselves from going to the fullness of God. We've not allowed ourselves to make excuses to why it's too hard for us to pay the price. Because really, like, you know, we're preaching love and Jesus. Jesus loves you. All I'm doing is telling people Jesus loves you. Jesus is a miracle worker. He wants to heal you, and all hell breaks loose against me. Why is that? Why, why do people, why, why? Not even just from the devil, from people themselves who want an easier path. They've given up on the fight. They don't want to go into the promised land because it's cost too much. They cannot believe God or will not believe God that they themselves can defeat the giants. They want the giants to just disappear. They want to have the prosperity without it. So rather than go in and receive the prosperity of the grapes and the fruit of miracles that comes from the promised land, they stopped on the other side of the Jordan and learned to serve God, to, to live for God, to preach for God without the battle, without the fight. God wants you blessed, my brother. He wants you prosperous. God wants you to have the best life now. 
Oh, praise God, I'm going to have the best life now. And, and we join hands with our outward man, with our natural man. We think, man, the best life. I'm going to have a big house, a fancy white picket fence. My, what is it, 3.2 kids and my, my little dog and my neighbor's cat. And, and I'm going to have everything laid out. That is the best life now, a life of freedom, a life of happiness. And they live their life serving God through their flesh because they've stopped believing or never did know they could believe to introduce Jesus the miracle worker. What we call revival is that the word of God is true, that what Jesus said, whatever I do, you will do also. Well, great. Jesus, I'm here in front of a blind man right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. Nothing happens. When nothing happens, now you're stuck. What are you going to do about it? Well, my brother, I prayed. That's my job. Jesus' job is to heal. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know why he didn't heal you, but I prayed. And so we have many Christians running around praying for people without the fruit, the results, where we know that every single person that came to Jesus for a miracle received their miracle. Verse 8 of chapter 9. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I'm he. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. They thought, well, this isn't the man. I'm, the, I'm him. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Say Pharisees. Now Pharisees, even though we understand that they were religious, they were the preachers of, of that time. They represented God at that time. They spoke for God. They spoke the word of God and taught the word of God they were the experts on God at that time. And rightfully so in the sense that Jesus had not been glorified yet at this time. Jesus was preaching the New Testament, the New Covenant, to an old covenant people. Do you understand that the Jewish people, up to the moment that Jesus was glorified, up to the moment that Jesus died on, to the died on the cross, up till that moment, they had a relationship with God through the temple, through the high priest, through the slaughtering of lambs. They had a right, a legal relationship with God based on the old covenant, but they were not born again. But the moment the veil was ripped in two, that was a message from God saying, you won't find me here, here anymore. 
the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, listen to me, everything you read all the way up to Matthew, everything in the Old Testament had a purpose, one purpose and one purpose only. It was to tell you how to know God and Jesus was coming. But once Jesus came, the old covenant was fulfilled and finished. It was now obsolete. You cannot go to the Old Testament and bring those rules, regulations, standards, relationship, and bring it into your life in the New Testament. Because you are not serving God as an unsaved person. You now are a child of God. You are the only Jesus that many people will ever experience. So these Pharisees were legal preachers, experts on who God was. Jesus was causing trouble. Because what he was doing didn't fit with what they wanted and what they had learned and what they had experienced. And let me just prophesy to you, little church, that you're going to have the same problem when you start showing the real Jesus to a church world that has been built on the wrong side of the Jordan River. When you start to disrupt their formula of what success is. And you'll think that many of them will be like, hey, praise God, you found the path. Jesus was more than a social worker. He was a miracle worker. Verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes and washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man, talking about Jesus, is not from God. Because he did not keep the Sabbath. So they skipped over the the miracle and looked at what Jesus broke in the old law. Jesus, on purpose, broke the old law and regulations trying to show them that it, he was the fulfillment. You will, not, you will not find God in the old law anymore. He's not there. He's in Jesus and completed it in Jesus. So much of the Old Testament is in our church tradition today, and it needs to be rooted out. Verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others say, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received the sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. So they didn't believe him. This is all a lie. How can a man who breaks the Sabbath, heals on the Sabbath, how can a man like that, a sinner, be used in miracles? 
And they said, and they asked them, saying, the parents, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. So they were afraid. Religion is scary. Pastor Dave said one time that you know, overcoming a homosexual spirit is, is very difficult. He said, but Jesus looked at Jerusalem and said, if God had sent the same prophets to you as he sent to Sodom and Gomorrah, that you would still reject them. That religion is harder to overcome than even the worldly spirit of homosexuality. And the parents were so afraid of the Jews, they said, well, you know, ask our son. <laughs> you know, I, we don't dare say that God did this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know the man, this man, was a sinner. So they're saying, well, okay, we'll, we'll accept that you're born blind and now can see. But give God the glory, but you've got to leave Jesus out of the picture. Now remember that, because you're going to hear something similar when you walk through revival. God did this sovereignly. He just decided one day to heal this person because he was in a good mood. Not because you prayed and laid your life down and sacrificed. And he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. I love this guy. He's so innocent, right? I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. See, when you build your life on religion, now listen to me, because this is the battle that you're going to go through personally or have been going. But when we see God move in miracles, like Jesus did, this will be part of the argument. See, I saw two trees, and one was a tree of religion, a tree of serving God through the outward man had all the same wording, the same confessions, the same everything, but it was the outward man serving God. And then I saw another tree, the tree of the Spirit, the inner man, the tree of, of growing from the Spirit, tree of light. And they looked similar. Both of them went to heaven, 
but only one was able to take us to what we would call revival. And when you build your whole life, your whole security and strength and reason for blessing on the natural man, when someone tells you you have to cross the Jordan and leave what you built on the other side if you're ever going to walk in the promises of God, you have to let go of all of those things that you use to build your life. Many people will refuse to dismantle what was built in the flesh so they can walk in the Spirit. I hope that made sense. They reviled him, verse 28, and said, You are his disciple, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of, of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You're completely born in sins, and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. Now, let me just, since we're here, let's just preach verse 34 again. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins. What they're saying is, Brother, you were born blind. That meant that you were cursed from God at your birth. See, here's what I know about you. You've come through some stuff. You've come through some brokenness, some mistakes, some struggles. And you're going to hear this same message spoke to you. Why are you trying to tell me about God? Just because He's using you, I know about your bankruptcy, I know about your divorce. I know about your failure, your past. Who are you to teach me? Because the flesh loves religion. The outward man, the outward intellect loves religion. God's not interested in the outward man. They answered and said to him, You're completely born in sins, and you're teaching us? And they cast him out. So we're going to learn something about Jesus. Jesus did not try to negotiate with religion, with religious people. He just did his thing and let them have the problem. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, See, Jesus didn't go to the Pharisees. And try to negotiate. No, I am Jesus. He did not go and try to convince them. He went to the one who was being uh, broken and attacked. So he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I love this guy. 
And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and is he who is talking with you? Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And when some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. Now what did they accuse this man of being? Born in sin. And he said, If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. They were holding on to the religion, the foundation that allowed them to serve God the way they were serving God. Now, we go into this, and remember, Jesus is, is still talking in the same group, the same scenario. Most surely, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door is a thief and a robber. Say this with me. The same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay, good job. You don't have to keep repeating now. <laughs> to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger's. So here Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, and he's saying, you used to preach for God. You used to represent God. You used to be the experts on God. But no longer are you the experts on who God is and how to walk with God. And he calls them strangers. He's saying, see how this man is following me and not you? He's running from you because you're the strangers. He who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now I'm going to read verse 1 again. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Here Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, all the rules and regulations, the Levitical law. He's calling that another way. That was never the way to God. That was only the way for man to know God while they were not saved. It was only there to bring Jesus. Once Jesus was in the earth, he completed the old, every law of the Old Testament, every regulation. He fulfilled it. It now, now no longer could help you to know God. And he calls these men strangers. And he says they're thieves and robbers if they try to go to God Outside of the door, Jesus. And he goes on to say, I'm the door. Then Jesus said to them again, verse 7, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
I am the door. So he's saying to these Pharisees, you're trying to get these people to go to God outside of me, Jesus, the door. Therefore, you're the stranger and you are the thief and the robber trying to get to God from another way outside of me, Jesus. In fact, they were rebuking the people, rebuking the blind man for pointing to Jesus as the way to God. Then Jesus, verse 7, said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me, say, see, read, read that part. You don't have to read all that, but just read that again. All who came, ever came before me, all who ever came before me are what? Thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Jesus is calling the Pharisees the thieves and the robbers. I am the door, verse 8, 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come they may have life and may have life more abundantly. Now we're going to pause there because I know we give the devil credit for this verse. And he deserves credit that he is a thief and a robber. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in context here, Jesus is pointing that comment to the Pharisees, to religion, as being trying to find God, trying to walk with God through religion. And what religion are we talking about? Are we talking about Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, Taoism? What religion is he talking about? Judaism. Trying to follow God under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament rules and standards. I think the message today that I've been just, the Lord's been working on me for years, is that the church has been infiltrated by the natural man trying to serve God. We don't have altars up front where we we slaughter lambs. We don't have a, a, a little pasture outside where we have a, the little lambs waiting to come in and, you know, welcome to church. And uh, What's your sin today? Let's kill the lamb. And uh, we're not offering animal sacrifices anymore, praise God. To that, I have one, one man I know came to a, a, the church I started at. The, they read the Old Testament and believed it. And they were building an altar in their backyard to get ready to start slaughtering animals, sacrificing animals. And uh, they, found, they found our church and realized that was the Old Testament. So thank God they didn't have to slaughter any sheep. We don't have that form of religion in our American Christianity. And therefore we call ourselves not religious. But understand that any form of following God outside of Jesus leading you, is religion. It's the same spirit. The same spirit that tried to stop a man healed of blindness from testifying that Jesus was the Son of God is the same spirit that's holding back our churches today from believing God that Jesus the miracle worker is still alive today. 
verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life, and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, now he's looking, listen to this, he's, he's called them thieves, robbers. Now he's calling them a hireling. But a hireling, he, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, but sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. I'm known by my own. When you run into religion, I've heard religion named all kinds of ways. I, I think it's kind of funny how one group will call the other group religious, you know. And, uh, you know, we don't drink wine. We, when we do our communion, we use grape juice. And another church will use real wine and call us religious for not drinking the real wine in our communion. So I'm not trying to just throw around the word religious because we're free. We don't wear suits like those religious guys. You know, we wear jeans when we preach. You know, there's churches like to compete against each other and call each other religious or, or um, what's the word, um, seeker-friendly, you know. Their services are only 15 minutes long. They're seeker-friendly. Their services are two hours long. They're religious. And, you know, everyone everyone's, tries to fight each other. Religion isn't about if you have fun in church. You know, they've got strobe lights and smoke machines, and they're having a great time, though. So we don't, you know, well, they're seeker-friendly, but they're having a great time. Where another church, they, they just, you know, there's some churches... Um, I think it's Church of Christ where you can't have instruments. You know, the only I think they only sing. Do they have any instruments at all? No instruments, because instruments. That's the I don't know if that's the devil or, or what the reason for that is. Understand, religion is anything that excludes Jesus, the miracle worker. Religion is the reason the church has accepted Jesus as the social worker instead of going to the place where Jesus, the miracle worker, can show up. I had a vision one time where I saw a train, and it was, uh, it was a dark green, the cars, and on the cars of this train, it was a long, long, long train, one that just went forever, and on all the cars, they were all the same dark green, camouflage green. And it said the words, human race, was printed on the side of the cars. And the window of the cars had metal bars on them. And the door of the cars were padlocked shut from the outside. And this train was going down the track. And the Lord was teaching me how that was the human race. And the human race was inside of the cards of the train. And that Adam was the one who sent people to hell, not God. God's a judge of your life. 
he'll tell you where you're going, but he's not the one that sent someone to hell. Adam did. And so I saw this train called the human race, and it was long. And it, if you follow the tracks, you could see it go all the way down this, this long trail, and then it would fall off a cliff into hell. And people were being, in, if you went inside the train, inside the cart, there was little, there's people living in there, born in there, and they couldn't get out. They were born and lived their whole life inside of this train cart, and they couldn't get out. They were in little groups, and they had different religions, but they were all born inside of this train called the human race, and they could not escape. They were locked inside, and the destiny of that train was to go off into hell. And then all of a sudden, inside of this one cart, Jesus was born inside of the human race. And then Jesus became the door. He opened a new door that didn't exist inside a cart. And then he stepped out of that door and started a new family, a new race called the children of God. Not the human race, the children of God race. And then Jesus, the good shepherd, reached into the human race and invited people to be born off of the train, born out of the human race and born into the family of God. And they were allowed to leave the human race through the door, Jesus. And that was the only way to rescue someone born in the human race was for them to be born again into this new family called the children of God. So in every church around America, every Sunday, you'll see the preacher hold up the Bible and say, at our church, we only preach the word of God. We believe the word of God is true. Where is Jesus the miracle worker? Good for you for not accepting anything less. Well, you know, I prayed for this guy and they didn't get healed. Maybe it was God's will. I understand where all these ideas come from because they don't have the answer. The real answer is we don't believe. Jesus needs us to go into the promised land, to get uncomfortable, to go to war with our thinking, our believing. And some of that means you have to go to this beautiful house that you built. You built it, this beautiful house of finances, this beautiful beautiful house of works, of good works, this beautiful house that you built. And you hear Jesus say, that's not good enough. I need you to destroy that because it's, it's in the wrong place. It's not good enough. It came from the flesh. The outward man cannot build this. It has to come from the Spirit. I talk about the two men who got saved in my uh, fictional preaching service. The rich man, the doctor, came to church, drove up in his Mercedes. He's skinny. He's in his 50s. He's, he, doesn't have, you know, he has all his hair. He's, you know looks slim and trim, and his wife is beautiful. His kids are behaving, and they're good, and they all came together. They have... No debt. They live in a big house. He's successful. He's a nice man. He's kind, a good father, a good family man, but not saved. Everything he has, he gained from the world of darkness, from the world of man, from the knowledge, the intellect of the natural man. 
And then also another guy was homeless and someone tricked him, said, I'll buy you lunch if you come to church. And he's the same age as the doctor in his 50s, but he's a drunk. He's homeless. His family's given up on him. He's got no discipline, no, no structure in his life. And both men are not saved. But all that the, the wealthy, healthy, strong, independent man, the doctor, all that he gained came from this world. But in many churches today, we could ask him, will you please do a seminar on how to walk in prosperity, how to have a good family? Will you please teach us how you have what you have? But yet everything he learned came from the world of darkness, came from the knowledge of darkness. See, the world of darkness doesn't just mean evil, drinking, and killing, and murdering. It means everything that came from the world of man came from darkness. Even the good came from darkness. There's whole groups. They're not evil. You can watch TV today when you go home, and you'll see a a commercial for uh, the Shriners men. We are providing for cancer kids, little baby children who have cancer. We are paying the whole bill for them to go to this place, this hospital. And for them, the family doesn't have to pay one penny, and we'll house them and give them all the help we can. Those are good works. There's nothing wrong with those. God bless them, and God will bless them. But it's still from the world of man. The world of man can do a lot of good things, but it cannot bring the miracles of Jesus, the miracle worker. It won't bring the revival that we're believing for. Both men got saved in my fictional sermon. And the first moment they asked Jesus in their heart, the drunk and the doctor... That was the first moment they tasted light and life, their first breath of life. Does the doctor now say, hey, I'm going to heaven, praise God. Now I can preach to you from my good works how to be successful. Or does he have to learn from the Spirit, the tree of the Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, the truth of who he is and how to walk with God? See, he cannot help you. That doctor cannot help. He can help you maybe be healthier and be better at certain things. He can help you meet Jesus, the the miracle worker. He can help us with revival. But the church has settled somewhere where we've let that knowledge of the world, the nice part of it, even though it's still dark, it's the nice part of it. It's still the source of that knowledge is still darkness, even though it's nice. It's still darkness. It cannot help us. Religion is built on that knowledge in the name of Jesus. And when you start praying in the Holy Spirit, start spending time in the Holy Spirit, He'll begin to teach your spirit the truths that only come from God. And that's when you start to have that war on the inside of you with religion, natural thinking. Faith is not the absence of intellect. Faith is built on intellect, but it's a spiritual intellect, not natural intellect. That's the wisdom that comes from God that causes man's wisdom to be foolishness. 
So we're on a path to revival. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You know, I don't ever like to mention the people who are not here as much as I like to mention the people that are here. (laughs) Because you're the cause of revival, not the people who aren't here. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't Don't let yourself accept being belittled when people from the peaceful side of the Jordan come to give you advice on how you should be prosperous like them. Second Corinthians is the book you want to read when you want to hear about the religion that attacked the Apostle Paul. They used his lack of finances. They used his, his brokenness in his body. They used his battles that he went through as a reason to why the lack of his prosperity. All those things are the reasons why God isn't blessing him. God's hand isn't on him because if God's hand was on him, he'd be prosperous, perfect in health. He'd be successful, blessings upon blessing. He'd have the best life now. If God's hand was on him, he has to work a job. God's not even providing for him. His nose is crooked because he's been beat up and attacked. For the gospel. But he's being attacked because he's walked out of the hand of God. We are going to see our revival. What's the cost? Well, we're finding out. It's more than what many of us thought. (laughs) But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Because even though I quit every day. I restart every day. Because I got nowhere else to go. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Where are you going? Well, I was just heading out the door to the, the back to the other side of the Jordan. No, you're not. Come on. Okay, let's keep going. I don't see the fruit yet. What I know our promises are. The Word of God is the only proof we have sometimes. But it is true. What does Gary say all the time? Truth changes facts. I've learned through humility, through the hard way, that you can still preach truth when you're not fully walking in it yet. That even though you may not have all the promises of God going, activating, running through you, the finances, the healing, the power, the strong family, the miracles, you can still preach the truth of the Word of God because you haven't given up on it yet. So don't be timid to preach the truth, even though you're not there yet. Because that doesn't change the Word of God, because you don't have it all yet. Father, we, we continue every day to give you our life. We continue every day to preach Jesus, the miracle worker. We continue every day to, to not walk as thieves and robbers and strangers and hirelings to point people to a religion that is powerless. Jesus, you are not a social worker. You are a miracle worker. And we thank you that we are on a path to show the world, to introduce our neighborhood, our cities, our countries to Jesus, the miracle worker. Thank you for believing in us and empowering us and strengthen us to continue every day 
on this path. In Jesus' name, amen.